Father, we do ask for the teaching ministry of your Holy Spirit. I pray you would overcome, Lord, everything in me about me that would hinder truth from really being released here and people receiving it. Prepare our hearts to receive the truth and be changed. And our prayer, Lord, is we'd be more like Jesus today because we were here. We ask in his name. Amen. Well, there was this guy. His name was Bubba. And Bubba loved to fish. And his wife never went fishing with him. And so one day she thought, hey, I think I want to go fishing with him. He said, sure, come on. And so she goes fishing with him, and he does what he normally does. He goes and he rents this little boat, and they go out fishing. Well, this was the best fishing day of Bubba's life. I mean, they were pulling and fish left and right, and Bubba finally looked at his wife and said, you must be a good luck charm. I have to bring you more often. And she laughed, and they were just having a great time. And then he said to her, now, we need to make sure we mark this spot so we can come back here. And she said, got it. And so anyways, they went on in. They, they turned the rent boat in. They get in the truck. And Bubba said, did you remember to mark the spot? She said, yes, I did. He said, well, what did you do? She said, I put an X on the side of the boat. We're catching all the fish. And Bubba looked at her and said, that's not too smart. How do you know we're going to get the same boat next time? Some of you guys aren't even getting this one, you know? <laughs> well, Bubba and his wife were missing the obvious. And sometimes missing the obvious is a funny thing. But we live in a world that is missing the obvious in some very serious, significant ways. And it's not funny at all. It's tragic. Today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Thousands of churches across this country are teaching the truth about the sanctity of human life. Now, they're teaching about something, and we are too, about something that should be obvious, but isn't. Today, we want to make sure that we truly understand what God has to say about this subject. And by the way, if you don't hear the truth about something as emotionally charged and as controversial as abortion in your church, then I don't know where you're going to hear about it. As I start this morning, I want to say to those of you who have been a party to an abortion, either you had one or because of your activity or inactivity, someone had one, I want you to know today that there is full forgiveness and healing in Jesus. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So no one needs to walk in the shame and in the guilt of their past sins, no matter what their past sins were. I also want to say up front that I realize that there are people that have very strong views on this topic. And I might not be able to change your view in the next 40 minutes, but I'm asking you to listen with an open mind to what the Bible has to say. Now, why does it matter what the Bible says? It matters because Jesus Christ, the only one who's ever risen from the dead, and hundreds witnessed the resurrected Christ. The only one who's ever risen from the dead, proving that he is who he says he is, God come in the flesh. 
He says the Bible is the word of God. He says the Old Testament is the word of God as he walked the earth. And then he promised that the writing of the New Testament by the power of the Holy Spirit through the apostles would be the word of God. So Jesus Christ says that the Bible is the word of God. That means that everything in the Bible, since he came as God in the flesh and God cannot lie, that means everything in the Bible is true. And it matters what it says. I also want to say another thing before I really jump into the subject, and that is I understand that the present political climate is so emotionally charged that it's very possible that some of you may get angry with me this morning. But I want you to know if that happens, your problem really isn't with me, it's with the Bible. So let me ask you as we jump into this, do you know what you believe about abortion? Do you know what you believe about it? Second question, do you know why you believe it? What you believe about abortion? Let me say a woman at your workplace comes to you, to your office, and she asks if she can talk to you. She goes ahead and relays to you that she's been involved in a relationship with a man that's not her husband and that she's become pregnant. She's confused and she's frightened. She doesn't want a serious relationship with the father of that child and she doesn't see any way in the world in which she can have this baby. And then she turns to you and asks you, so what should I do? What do you think I should do? What would you say to her? Well, let's say you're a student at UTA and a female classmate comes to you and she tells you that she's been the victim of a date rape. As a result of that, she's become pregnant. She's visibly upset. She's crying and she says, what do you think I should do? What would you tell her? Or let's say there's a single mom that lives next door to you. And she walks over, she knocks on your door, and she relays to you the fact that she just found out she's pregnant. She's already got four kids. Her husband left her last week and he has no plans of coming back. She explains to you that she can't afford another kid. In fact, she can't afford the four she's got. And she turns to you, says, and on top of that, I can't miss a day of work. What do you think I should do? So what would you tell her? The Bible tells us that we're to always speak the truth in love. Always the truth and always in love. So that is what we should do in each of those three situations. We should speak the truth in love. The question is, what is the truth that you should speak in those situations? So it's important that you know what you believe and you, it's important that you know why you believe it. Now, again, before we delve further into this subject, I want you to know on the, uh, up front about this that almost every reason that a person would give for ending a pregnancy can be also applied to a toddler, to a two-year-old. A parent of a toddler could say, I didn't sign up for this, or I don't have the emotional energy for this, or this is a lot more than I anticipated, this two-year-old, or this is throwing a wrench into my plans, or this is separating me from my partner, 
or this is costing me way more than I can possibly afford. And yet no one in here and no one online would argue that it's okay to take that toddler's life because that toddler is causing you so much distress. No one would say that's okay. No one would argue for the right of that mother to take the toddler's life. No one would. In my lifetime, I've watched so many people change their positions on this important issue. I've watched politician after politician change their position. Do you guys know, many people do know, that 1986, then-Governor Bill Clinton wrote a letter to the Arkansas Right to Life and said this, and I quote, I am opposed to abortion and to government of funding of abortions. But later he changed his position to a pro-choice, pro-abortion position. But why did he change? Now many people know that in 1984, Al Gore stated in a letter to a constituent of his deep personal conviction that abortion is wrong. Then he went on to vote to amend the Civil Rights Act to define the term person to include unborn children from the moment of conception. But later he changed his position to a pro-choice, pro-abortion position. Why did he change? Now many people know that in 1971, Senator Edward Kennedy wrote that he believed, and I quote, that human life, even at its earliest stages, has a certain right which must be recognized, the right to be born, the right to love, the right to grow old. But later he changed his position. So why did he change his position? Now many people know that in 1977, Jesse Jackson wrote an open letter to Congress and said, and I quote, what happens to the mind of a person and the moral fabric of a nation that accepts the aborting of the life of a baby without a pang of conscience? What kind of person and what kind of society will we have in 20 years hence if life can be taken so casually? Failure, failure to answer that question affirmatively may leave us with a hell right here on earth. But later he changed his position to a pro-abortion position. Now, why did he change? What happened to all these politicians' convictions? What happened? I think the prophet Isaiah summarizes this the best. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 14, where he says, truth has stumbled in the streets. Let me summarize you two positions on abortion the best I can. There's two sides. One side, we, it's called the pro-life side, pro-life group. This group believes that the unborn is a human being, just not fully developed. Therefore, he or she should be protected because it would be the killing of a human life to have an abortion. That's the pro-life position. The pro-choice or pro-abortion position is this. This group believes that the unborn is just a mass of tissue, an appendage to the mother's body. And no one has a right to tell a woman what to do with a part of her own body. That's the other position. So the core issue seems to come down to this. Is the unborn a human life, just not fully developed, 
Or is the unborn just a mass of tissue, a mere appendage of the mother's body? Before we go any further, I want you to watch a 10-second 4D sonogram inside the womb of this pregnant woman. And you tell me if that looks like a baby or if that looks like a mass of tissue to you. Let's watch this. Does that look like a mass of tissue or is it like a baby? See, I, I really think if all we did is require a mother to watch a 4D sonogram of her baby before she makes her final decision, that would just about wipe out abortion, not only in our country but around the world. Do you remember the story in 1994 of Susan Smith? Remember she drowned her two sons in the car? It was... It was she let her 1990 Mazda roll down into the lake, John D. Long Lake, purposely drowning her two sons, a three-year-old Michael D Daniel Smith and a 14-month-old Alexander Tyler Smith. And her motivation to doing this was she wanted a relationship with this local wealthy man, but he had no interest in having children. Now, let me just ask you, is there anyone that would argue that it was okay for Susan Smith to drown her two boys? Nobody would. Nobody in this room would argue that it's okay for her to do that. Nobody online would argue this. Nobody would argue that it's okay for her to do that because those boys were an inconvenience or because those boys kept her from her boyfriend or because maybe they just got in the way. Nobody would argue it's okay to take the life of those two boys because they got in the way. Nobody would. So let me ask you this. Let's say they weren't three years old and one years old. Let's say they were just three months old. Would it be okay to take their lives then? Three months old. Would anyone argue it's okay if you, they're three months old, you can go ahead and kill them? How about if they're not three months old? How if they're just three weeks old? Would it be okay to kill them? They're in the way. How about if they're not three weeks old? How about if they're three days old? Would anyone argue it's okay for, to kill a three-day-old baby? How about not three days old? How about... Three minutes old, just three minutes. Would it be okay then? How about not three minutes? How about three seconds? How about one second? One second after they're born, is it okay to kill them then? How about not one second after they're born? How about one second before they're born? Would that be okay? Or what is called, termed partial birth abortion. Questions, when would it be okay? When would someone argue, now it's okay to kill your baby? When is it okay? to do this? When is it okay for society to no longer be outraged that this is happening every single day? Now, as Bible-believing Christians, we know that all of human life is sacred, all of it, no matter how young, no matter how old, no matter what ethnicity no matter how healthy, no matter how whole, all of human life is sacred. Why is it sacred? And because it's sacred, it should be protected. Why is it sacred? Let's read Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. What makes human life so valuable? Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Stop right there. 
Let us make man. God is the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, saying, let us make man in our image. Verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What distinguishes us people from animals, what makes us uniquely valuable, is that we've been created in the image of God. Now, what does that mean? That means that we are like God in what ways? That we are moral, that we are rational, that we can know right and wrong, that we are spiritual. People are not like animals who behave instinctively. People are rational and moral. They distinguish between good and evil, right and wrong, and they're spiritual. Now we see from another passage in just a moment that all men and women are possess the image of God, not just Adam and Eve, but all men and women. Notice Genesis 2, verse 2 says this. By the seventh day, God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. So, so far, he'd only, he's only created Adam and Eve in the image of God, and he rests on the seventh day. On the seventh day, he ceases from all of his creative work. So the question is now, so how do humans after Adam and Eve get the image of God? How do they get it, and when do they get it? Well, here's the answer. Genesis chapter 5, verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness according to his image and named him Seth. So Seth is born and Seth is said to be in the likeness of Adam, the image of Adam. Adam is created in the image of God. So it follows that Seth got the image of God from his father. When did that happen? What follows that since God ceased from all, his, all of his creative work, that the image of God was passed on seminally through the parents to the children. That means this. That means that at the moment of conception, that child, though not fully developed, possesses the image of God at conception and is therefore valuable and sacred. The image of God is what gives us special value, value that no one's allowed to touch by God. Only God can touch that life. Genesis 9, 6 says this, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. No one's to shed the blood of another because all humans are made in the image of God. An unborn child is in the image of God. Therefore, it is a direct violation of the commandment of God. Thou shalt not kill every time an abortion is performed. Every time. And right now, one, about one out of three pregnancies are, are terminated by an abortion. Among unmarried women in the U.S., abortions exceed live births. Non-therapeutic abortion has become the second most common surgical procedure in our country, circumcision being first. You know, there is national outrage. Outrage. Just think about when, when it was discovered that Kaylee Anthony was killed by her mother. There was national outrage. How could she do it? And yet right now, where's the outrage? Where's the outrage, the national outrage right now that abortion is going on virtually without restriction? 
know, even those who have opposed abortion in the past, it's kind of like so many just giving up the fight. You know, just let them have their way. We're tired of fighting this. So many have thrown in the towel. You know, the reason why most people aren't outraged, though, is because they don't know the truth about abortion. They've not been told the truth. There is a conspiracy of silence and misinformation about this subject, and it is on purpose. And the primary proponent of it is Planned Parenthood. There are four lies about abortion that the majority of Americans have been fooled by, and I want to tell you what those four lies are, and then we can see what the truth is about each one of them. Four lies. Here they go. Here we go. Number lie number one. Lie number one, abortion is not the killing of a personal human life because the unborn is not personal, human, or alive. But the Bible clearly points out that the unborn is quite personal, quite human, and quite alive. Let's read Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16. The psalmist says this, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Jeremiah 1, verse 4 and 5. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Luke chapter 1, verse 41 through 44. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, this is Mary, the mother of Jesus. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. Let me say that part again. The baby leaped in her womb. Didn't say the mass of tissue quivered. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, the, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. How has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. The Bible is quite clear in this point. The unborn are living, they are personal and they are human. He said, well, what if you don't believe the Bible, Gary? I mean, not everybody believes the Bible. What, is, what does science have to say about that? You know, they actually had in 1981 a U.S. congressional hearing bringing in all these scientists to testify about the beginning of individual life. And Dr. Jaime Gordon testified this, and I quote, but now we can say, he's talking about the scientific community, now we can say unequivocally that the question of when life begins is no longer a question for theological or philosophical dispute. It is an established scientific fact. Theologians and philosophers may go on to debate the meaning of life or the purpose of life, but it is an established fact that all life, including human life, begins at the moment of conception. There's a video clip that if you can access on YouTube called The Silent Scream. This video shows a sonogram of an actual abortion. It is horrifying. It is horrifying. The unborn baby fights to avoid the abortionist instruments. But he can't, she can't get away, and finally she opens her mouth in a painful scream in the womb. And many physicians who have seen that 
have, ne- have committed to never do another abortion the rest of their life after they saw that. Some years ago, I was invited to speak at the Adventure School here in Arlington to a class full of pregnant teenage girls. And I spoke to them about what was going on inside their bodies. I spoke to them about what happens in an abortion. I spent plenty of time answering their questions. When I was done, every single girl in that class wrote me a letter of gratitude saying no one has told us any of this. Thank you for telling us the truth. Every single girl in that class of about 25 girls wrote me a letter except for one. One girl went home and told her mother her mother was irate. She was so angry. She called the school couldn't, and she chewed them out for letting me be in that class. And that one phone call caused me to never be allowed to come in that classroom and speak again. On top of that, that teacher for letting me come in was disciplined because of that one call. See, the more you know about the truth about the unborn and what actually happens in abortion, the less likely you are to actually choose to do this. But there's this conspiracy of silence and misinformation that Planned Parenthood is the worst at, and abortion continues to be rampant in our country and in the world. And when you think about it, it doesn't make much sense. There was an article in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram some years ago where a doctor tells his story. He was in a hospital in Fort Worth, and he and a whole staff were rushing around the hospital room, saving the life of a premature baby. It was only five months old, and they did all they could do, and finally they stabilized the baby and saved the baby's life. And it was a great moment, he said. And then he took off his surgical gear, and he's walking down the hallway exhausted, and he walks by another room where they are aborting a five-month-old baby. And he says, what in the world? We just got done saving a five-month-old premature premature baby because that's a human. And now they're killing a five-month-old baby in the womb. Why are we killing humans in the womb? That's the question he asked in the paper. Why are we doing this? The unborn baby is personal, human, and alive and should be protected. Let me address line number two. Line number two goes like this. Even if abortion is immoral, you can't legislate morality. Therefore, there should be no laws against it. You know, several polls conducted over the past several years, and even most recently, the majority of Americans, even today, when they're questioned, agree with this statement. Here's the statement that the majority of Americans agree with. I personally feel that abortion is morally wrong, but... I also feel that whether or not to have an abortion is a decision that has to be made by every woman herself. But this position is really pretty thoughtless. Think about this. Stealing and murder are clearly moral matters. I mean, to argue that we shouldn't legislate morality is crazy. We do it all the time. We have all kinds of laws legislating morality. You say, but what if that private behavior, what if it's, uh, it's private morality distinguished from public morality? Well, what if that private behavior involves someone else? Then the matter is no longer private, but by definition social. See, the question of an abortion involves another human being. Therefore, it is a public matter. Let me back up, and I want to just review for you. What is the biblical role of government? 
Genesis 3, verse 24, let's see what it says. This is right after Adam and Eve's sin, and they are basically thrown out of the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3, 24, so he drove the man out. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim. This is an angel, four-winged angel, powerful. Stationed the cherubim in the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So this verse comes right after the biblical narrative that records the fall, the entrance of sin into the world. So after Adam and Eve were disobedient, they eat the forbidden fruit. They are then expelled from the Garden of Eden. What does God do? He places a sentry guard. A sentry guard is placed there, a cherubim angel with a weapon. The weapon is a flaming sword. And what is the point? The point is the angel is given is given an instrument for enforcement of the law. This is the origin of law, by the way, in the Bible. God issues a command, then he establishes a guard with the power to ensure that law will not be violated. The angel represents really government, an institution that's established to enforce the law. Let's read this. With that in mind, now let's read Romans 13, verse 3 and 4. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior. Talking about governmental rulers. Rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good. And you have praise from the same. For it is government authorities. It is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. The government does not bear the sword for nothing. As in the case of Genesis 3, we see that part of the role of government is to enforce the law. Okay, so what laws should the government enforce? Well, Thomas Jefferson, one of the founders of the United States, here's what he said about the purpose of government. And I quote, the chief purpose of government is to protect life. Abandon that and you've abandoned all. So the chief purpose of government is to protect life. So our founders agreed with the Bible that the role of government, number one, is to protect life. And, by protect, and the way you go about protecting life is to enforce laws that would protect life. That's the role of government. Protect life. Enforce laws that would protect life. Lie number three. Line number three goes like this. Laws against abortion would be a violation of a woman's right to privacy. Now, again, let's just think about this for a moment. Do I have the right to commit a crime such as murder as long as I do it privately? Of course not. There are moral limitations to the right to privacy. And surely the right to privacy is not higher or greater than the right to life. If it were, then I could take your life for violating my privacy. But that's senseless. Lie number four. Law, laws against abortion would violate a woman's right to her own body. Again, let's think about this. Does a woman have the right to use her body as a battering ram to injure other people? Of course not. It's important here to note that the unborn baby is contained temporarily inside a woman's body, is connected to her body temporarily, but is not a part of her body. 
the unborn baby has its own body. It's not part of her body. It, he, that baby, that her, he or she is inside her body temporarily and connected to her body, but not part of her body. That's not true. You say, well, what about, what about a, a mother's, if a mother's life's in danger? It's interesting. C. Everett Koop, one-time Surgeon General of the United States, said this, and I quote, In all my 30 years of medical practice, I myself nor any of my colleagues I've ever associated with have ever had an instance where we had to choose between the life of a mother and the child. So what about rape and incense? Rape and incense are horrible tragedy, tragedies, no doubt. But to punish a human being who's not yet been born for the sin of another person is not right. The rapist should be punished, but not the baby. The baby didn't do anything wrong. And by the way, of all the rapes in the United States, less than six-tenths of 1% have ever resulted in pregnancy. So that's some of the truth about abortion. Now, in light of the truth about abortion, what should we do as Christ followers? How should we respond? Number one, we should find forgiveness. If you've been a party to one, you need to find forgiveness, first of all. Forgiveness is available through Jesus Christ. Full pardon, full cleansing is available. No more condemnation, no more shame, no more guilt. It's available through Christ. Just come to him, turn to him. Even today, you can have that kind of forgiveness. See, over decades of being involved in this subject with people, I realize that women more often than not resort to abortion rather than choose it. They do so because some man voiced a desire not to be the provider or the protector of, that, of his own child, and she felt like she had no choice but to have an abortion. By the way, in those cases, men bear more responsibility for the destruction of human life. And if you're a guy that somehow had, as, as a, was a party to an abortion, then you need to receive forgiveness from Jesus because you were a party to that, the death of that child. So number one, we need to receive forgiveness. And forgiveness is available to Jesus wants to forgive every sin. Number two response is we need to take responsibility. Francis Schaeffer said before he died, the problem with America is that it has settled for two values, personal peace and affluence. See, too many of us have grown weary of this debate, and we just kind of let the pro-abortionists have their way. Just, just we're tired of it. Let them have their way. What we want is we want some peace and we want some personal affluence. But we can't stop fighting. We've got to keep taking responsibility. How? Let me walk you through this. How can we take responsibility? Number one, pray. The devil, Jesus said, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil is behind this whole abortion movement around the world. The devil is the, he is the one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He's behind it. So we need to pray. There's a spiritual warfare going on here. He tries to dress it up, make it look educated, sophisticated, all kinds of stuff, but it is, he, he is behind it. So we need to pray. Secondly, we need to be supportive of pro-life leadership in our country. I want you to think about this. 
if the number one role of government is to protect life, then how in the world can we vote for someone who will not protect life? Including the unborn. How in the world is it they're leading anything in this country when they won't even do the most basic thing, stand up for the most vulnerable people? Another way to take responsibility is do your part to tell the truth. Speak the truth and love to people. We stand up against this political correctness. It's like a wave coming across, and we got so many voices that have been silenced and intimidated because they don't want to be ridiculed or get, someone get mad at you. We have to speak the truth. Do it in love, though. Always in love. Another way is serve. All kinds of ministries. Embrace Grace was talked about. The adoption ministries in our church is talking about. The foster program ministry in our church. We have many of you are involved in the Metroplex Women's Clinic. We have people here in our church involved in the Arlington Resale Store that's helping fund these ministries. There's all kinds of ways we can be involved and serve and help women know that there is another way. We can help you. You're not alone. We want to help you. And finally, let me just say this, and always act in love. Never return evil for evil. Never return hate for hate. Always return good for evil. Always return blessing for cursing. Good triumphs over evil. And always act in love because love never fails. Look for ways to lovingly help someone who feels trapped. Because that's how they feel. They feel trapped. Help them. You're not alone. Don't just leave them trapped. Help them. And you say, I don't know how to help them. Then, then find out there's all kinds of ways. We can help you help them. Now, in closing, perhaps you're here today or you're online and you're actually considering having an abortion. What I want to say to you is don't do it. No matter what, don't do it. You cannot take that child's life. Don't do it. You are not alone. We will help you. Let us help you. But don't take this baby's life. We had a group of us were out at UTA. We were in front of the library and we are handing out some free waters and just telling people that God loves you. Here's a free water, and just see if the Lord would cause her to have conversations, and he always does. And one young lady, she walked by real quick and grabbed a water, and she just kept marching along, and then she stopped. And she turned around, and she came back to our group, and she's got tears welling up in her eyes, and she says, I'm about to go get an abortion. I want you to tell me why I shouldn't do that. And we did. We told her why. And she kept her baby. I was at a grocery store checking out not too long ago. And as, a, and as I was checking out, I noticed the, the, the lady at the cash register kept looking at me like she recognized me. And finally, she said, are you that pastor that was at that church across from Arlington High School that did the, did the feeding frenzy? I said, I'm guilty. <laughs> she said, I just want to thank you because you said something one day that caused me to keep my baby. And I'm so glad I did. You know, we live in a dark world, and we cannot give up fighting the darkness. It is exhausting. We've got to keep drawing on the strength of the Lord. With him, all things are possible. But we, have, we are the hope of the world. We have the light of Christ, of him and his love, we can offer. And if we back up and decide we're not fighting this fight anymore, and the world just gets darker and darker. And so I urge you, let your light shine. Speak the truth in love. Pray. Look for ways to help. 
And you'll see more and more things like we saw on the slides. You see more and more happy young women that have their babies and they got the help they needed. There is a way out for those who want help, who receive help. Let's be those who are willing to give the help to them. And let's keep fighting the darkness. Don't let the darkness win. You are the light of Christ in you. Shine your light and keep shining it. As we close, I'd like to close this way. So if you'd all stand, please. I do believe that some of you that really need to receive some prayer before you leave. And the way I want to do that is we're going to dismiss the service and there's going to be people heading out, but we're going to have some leader couples up front, some elder and pastor leader couples that will pray for you. So you can kind of ease up here. We don't, we're not trying to embarrass anybody, but we want to pray for you. So after we dismiss the service, don't leave without getting prayed for if you need this. And also, I just want to remind you, too, as before we close in prayer, that we have Connection Coffee in this corner if you have any questions for our staff. And if this is your first Sunday, I'd love to meet you personally right here in this welcome corner. But again, receive prayer if you need prayer today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that you love us. I thank you for the testimonies I even heard after first service of, of people who came up and said, you know, I was, I was supposed to be aborted, and my mom kept me. I'm so glad she did. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for those who are willing to uh, really give help. Would you strengthen us? Would you strengthen all these ministries that really help people keep their baby? Lord, would you give, even multiply more ministries here and around our, our area, our region, and around the world? And Lord, I pray for those that are struggling with condemnation and guilt and shame because of an abortion that they're a party to. Would you let them know how free forgiveness is in you, Christ, that they'll just turn to you? They don't have to walk with any more shame and guilt. And you, are, you forgive and you forget. And we thank you for that. And Lord, we pray this week that we would find ourselves really being the light of the world. <clears throat> Wherever we are, that we let our light shine and we shadow the darkness. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a great day. A great week.